This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, and I want to welcome you to the Warning Program. Today's program is going to have my assistant, Pastor Ty Goldstrom, sharing a word from the Lord titled, despising our birthright for a pot of porridge. This was recorded December 11, 2004, while I was with a team in New York City. Now sit back and enjoy this message. Lord has been speaking this morning. I thank him for his presence today. See, we have our own plans, we have our own agendas, but when we yield our heart to the Lord and allow his Holy Spirit to take control, God, has something to say. Praise the Lord. Praise. Praise God. This morning, we're so blessed that you're here today. This morning, uh, Reverend Hansen has gone out of town to do meetings in New York. Pastor E.J. Buckhart has gone to New York with him. Pastor Tom Roberts is gone. He also is in New York with them. The pastors have gone to New York to do meetings. There are several members of our church that are gone today and out of town and this morning as I was thinking and praying you know God there's so many people are gone today but I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is here today for we do not need people we need the Lord for God is no respecter of man and neither should we be respecter of man For although the the prophet, the prophet of God is not here, Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit is here with us today. We do not come here today to church to follow a prophet, to follow a man. We are here today to worship our God and our Savior. I know that many of you today, I'm just thankful that you've come here with a a contrite heart, a genuine heart, and that's why we're here today. I know that some of you are are growing tired and weary. Some of you have been in the battle a long time, and you haven't felt like you've had any reprieve. Some of you are growing faint, but with Jesus Christ, He can see you through all things. And I was just sharing recently, God has put this true story on my heart about a missionary who was serving in Africa. And it reminded me as I met this lady yesterday who was a graphic artist, who is a missionary here from Africa. They're missionaries to America. And her her father 
who is a pastor are planting churches here in America because God knows the condition of America and he knows that God is trying to reach people here even in this nation but it reminded me of a story of missionaries who had served many years in Africa 40 years they served in Africa they gave their lives their heart their soul their blood their sweat and their tears in this land this was many years ago and uh, it was time for them to come home so they prepared to get on the ship to come back home to America Teddy Roosevelt happened to be the, the president at that time happened to be doing a safari at that time he was there in Africa shooting big game and and he was boarding the ship to come home too when they arrived in the harbor President Roosevelt had thousands and thousands of people waiting for him. Thousands of people waiting for him as he returned home. And the missionary and his wife, they got off the boat and they looked around. They saw thousands of people waiting for President Roosevelt. There wasn't a single person waiting for them when they returned home. They went in prayer that night and the pastor was a little discouraged. See, he had served for 40 years. He gave everything he had to Christ and the church. He served in Africa his whole life with his wife. And he's praying to the Lord. He says, Lord, you know, President Roosevelt was there. He's not even there doing God's work. And he has thousands of people waiting for him at home. And here we come home and there's no one there. And God's spirit rose up within him, in his heart. God spoke to him clearly and he said to his servant you're not home yet you're not home yet let us not grow weary let us remember the work that we are called to do let us not allow the things of this world and our situation and our circumstances and the appearances of this world to let us be downhearted let us remember what God has called us to and let us be faithful to continue to do what he has called us to do to be faithful every step of the way even though in appearances it may look like oh God where is everybody oh, how come the church isn't filled today oh the prophet is gone all oh, the people in my house they're just against me oh I've served the church and it seems like they've all turned their backs to me but remember nothing can compare to the riches the hope that we have the glory that awaits us when we come to meet our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ face to face when we see him on the throne room of God and he'll look down upon us and say well done my good and faithful servant and then we will know that it was all worthwhile even though we didn't get any of the glory here on earth we have our Lord and our Savior so thank you for being here today we are here called today to worship our God and I'm thankful that we have servants of God that are open to the Spirit see normally we worship for a while and then we have the message and then we have altar time but God's agenda today was he wanted to minister to his people during the worship time. And I'm thankful that I serve in a church 
where we have leaders and servants. Some leaders get called out to go to nations. Some other leaders get called out to other areas. We have other leaders that stand in the gap, that fill in the gap, that are obedient and faithful and can hear the voice of the Lord and to flow with His Spirit. So we thank you. And also today what we'd like to do, I'd like to call up our ushers here and we're going to go ahead and take our tithes and offerings today. I thank you for the worship that we've had today. And you know that a part of worship is giving back to the Lord. Now, you know that He doesn't need our money. Just like He really doesn't need you. But He has a desire for you to grow in Him. And part of that growth is not worship, is not only worship, not only singing, not only praising, but also giving, giving. And I find it ironic again that God doesn't demand that we do certain things. He asks for only a portion. He doesn't demand 100% of our money. He asks for some of it, maybe 10% or even more. I find it ironic, though, that God asks even more of our time than He does our money. Did you realize that? God has asked us to spend one day out of seven with Him, right? So He's asking for a seventh of our time but only a tenth of our money. <laughs> Praise the Lord. See, God is good. He just wants us to abide in Him so that He could flow through us to bear good fruit and to glorify His holy name. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for our tithes and offerings today. I just pray that you would give with a pure heart, with a cheerful heart, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but because you love. Jesus Christ. I want to reiterate the importance of something that Dr. Mike mentioned, and that is what happened in the worship service today. You see, Jesus desires not to have us worship as if we're in a place worshiping and he is somewhere up here observing. This is not for his to be an audience. In the time of worship is a place to have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Instead of seeing it as a performance, with you on a stage and Jesus passively watching. You need to understand that worship is not Jesus in the audience, but that Jesus is dancing with you. Jesus is talking with you. Jesus is putting his arms around you. Jesus might be speaking to you about an area of your life. You see, worship is intimate. And that's what we have to grasp here is that when Tamara was up there and worshiping, she was having interaction with Jesus and she felt the burden of Jesus Christ. She felt the desire of Jesus Christ. And she passed that desire on as into an invitation to come and to respond to the burden and desire of Jesus Christ. That is the beautiful thing about worship. That's the beautiful thing about Christians that can be led by the spirits. If perhaps we were not led by the Spirit here this morning, we would have missed that opportunity of what Jesus was saying. In our prayer lives, we must grasp the very same principle that it's not me here and Jesus somewhere else. It's you together intimately talking with Jesus so he can share his burdens and his desires with you. And then as you grasp the desires and burdens of Jesus, then and only then can you pray appropriately. Isn't that true? Prayer is praying the thoughts after Christ. Prayer needs to be led by Jesus Christ. 
And that's why it's an excellent opportunity before you go into your prayer closet to start out with a time of praise and worship of Jesus Christ. Let that carnal man just be sifted down, the spirit man rise up, and then you'll know how you ought to pray. And that's what we saw today is the burden of Jesus being communicated. And I praise the Lord that we were patient enough to hear his voice, aren't you? Because we might have missed something dear. You might have missed something so perfect for your life. But the same principle here, if we'll wait on him, if we'll be patient with him in worship, it's the same thing in your personal time with Jesus Christ. If you choose not to be patient with Jesus in the prayer closet, then you will miss something wonderful. It's the same. And last week we had a chance to talk about the prayer closet. And this week we're going to talk about, in essence, things that can keep us from the prayer closet, things that can keep us from the blessings of God, things that interrupt the blessings of God. If you can turn to your Bibles to Psalm 103, the title of the sermon is Despising Our Birthright for a Pot of Porridge. Despising our birthright for a pot of porridge. As we are going through the worship service, when we got to this song, that's where things changed if you recognized it. That's where if you were really at a place where you were interacting with Jesus, this is where something changed and he started to communicate burden. This is, I believe, the song, and we got through a couple more after this that really led to that direction of intimacy, that direction of communication, of rededication of your life to Jesus Christ. And as I read these words of the song as we were worshiping, I realized that almost every facet of the song, the words that it's trying to communicate, is exactly the words that I'm going to try to communicate to you through the Word of God. In the secret place. Why is it secret? Because the world doesn't see you doing it. There's no glamour, there's no prestige in the secret place. The world and this culture does not honor the secret place. This culture and this world honors things that are productive from a worldly point of view. The world will not encourage you to go to the secret place. It won't encourage you to go to the prayer closet because we see the prayer closet as a place of unproductive Christian life. But as we discussed last week, that prayer is the work. It is in that prayer closet that every good work has its foundation. And everything we do beyond the prayer closet will be in the name of Jesus Christ by the will of God, by the power and the anointing of Christ if we understand and value the secret place. In the quiet hour, I wait only for you. Do you wait for him in the quiet hour? Whatever hour that may be of your life, are you waiting for him only for him? And is your motive because I simply want to know him more. That's got to be the thing that drives us in our Christian walk, is we simply want to know Jesus Christ more. That's why I wait. It's because I want to know Jesus. I want to interact with him. I want him to speak to me. I want to hear his voice. I want to touch him. I want to see his face. Pressing onward and pushing every hindrance aside. Today we are going to talk about the hindrances that we must as Christians recognize and push aside or it will keep you, it will rob you from your birthright in Christ Jesus. Today we sang about it, but today we got to apply it to our lives and see are we truly pushing every hindrance aside? Are you, brother or sister, Are you pushing every hindrance to your walk in Christ? Do you even recognize those things which are hindrances that are robbing you from your time 
in relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pits and crowns you with love and compassion. How many people need that crown today of love and compassion? This world will crown you with many things, but it will not crown you with the love of God and the compassion, the mercy and grace of God. He desires to give you a new crown. Verse five, and the one I want to draw attention to this afternoon, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Did you catch that? He says that he's going to satisfy your desires and give you good things. He doesn't condemn desires. We are created to have desire, amen? Do you know why we're created to have desire? Because Jesus Christ, God himself, has desire. Isn't that right? And we are made according to his likeness. It says in Psalm chapter 51 and verse 6, speaking of God's desires, the psalmist says, Surely you desire truth in the innermost parts. This is Jesus' desire for your life and for all people's life, everyone that he has created. His desire is simple that you would have truth. Who is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He wants truth in your innermost part. That's the desire of Jesus Christ. The problem that we have is apart from Christ, we can do nothing. John chapter 15, the branches and the vine. If you're separated, if you're not abiding in the branch, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, through me, you can bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a problem. He says, I desire that you have truth, myself, within your innermost parts. I desire that you're grafted into the vine, and I am through you, speaking through you, producing fruit. The problem is, how is that going to be accomplished? Well, praise God that even though there's a John chapter 15, there's also a John chapter 16 that speaks about what? The soon coming counselor. Another counselor, another paraclete in the Greek, another one that will come and testify to Jesus Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit. John 15 by itself can set a man to depression, but the hope comes as you keep reading. He says, I will send. It is better for me to go because I will send the Holy Spirit. Amen? And it's through the Holy Spirit. That's how we can receive truth in the innermost part. That's how we can satisfy the desires of Christ is by receiving Christ and allowing his Holy Spirit to bear forth truth and reality in our innermost parts. In Christ, as we receive him, we have the Holy Spirit. But we have also another force that tries to combat that of the Holy Spirit, the carnal man. Last week, I talked about the fact that a born-again Christian, a person who is in Christ Jesus, still has to deal with the carnal man. 
still has to deal with that man or that woman that wants to do it their own way. Have you ever heard that voice within? There's some that are saying about it, I will do it my way. And you say, ah, oh, yeah, that guy was a heathen. Well, what about you? Do you ever say, I want to do it my way? When you get into an argument with your spouse and you pull away for a season because you don't want to go and ask for forgiveness, you'd rather just let the thing burn for a while, you're going to do it your way. You're guilty. Anyone guilty of that? I was guilty of that within the last week. So we look at people and we say, oh yeah, he's a heathen, he'll did it his way, and he's in the pit of hell. Yet what about you though? The only difference between the man who sang that song, and perhaps you today, is you've accepted Jesus Christ, and now you can partake of the divine nature. You don't have the divine nature, you don't own the divine nature, you can't hold it in and say it's mine, you can partake of it. But you must choose daily to partake of the divine nature. If you fail to partake, the default setting on you is the sin nature. If you fail to actively partake of the divine nature, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit that was promised and received by you, if you made a sincere confession of your life before Christ, if you fail to make the choice, not just daily, not just weekly, but every single moment, how many times are we guilty of doing something perfect in Jesus, flowing by his spirit, and the very next minute, something hits your flesh and you're right back out into the carnal man? Do you know how fast it can be? Every single moment, we must choose to abide in him. He didn't put a time frame on it. You must choose to abide in me, remain in me, and you will bear fruit. He didn't say that once a day or once every hour or once every week. It is a consistent thing that you can have access to. As surely as you take the plug out of the wall, the power dies. Amen? As soon as you choose to take the plug and pull it, is as soon as your life that's now hidden with Christ in God is now exposed and vulnerable to who? Satan and the way he would like you to do. We must choose daily, every moment, to remain in Christ Jesus. You know, Romans chapter 7 and verse 16 through 25, the Apostle Paul talks about this very thing that we're talking about, the struggle with the sin man. He says in verse 16, And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I. What a wretched man is Ty. What a wretched man are you. 
Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. When will he do it? When will he rescue you? Was it just at Calvary 2,000 years ago? Well, we can talk about the Genesis, but what about today? Who will rescue you today? When someone sins against you today, when someone slaps you on the face, who will rescue you? He will only rescue you if you remain in him. He promises that if you will remain in him, he will what? He will remain in you. He will abide in you. He cannot abide in sin. If you choose to sin, if you choose to pull out from the source, then he cannot abide in you. And yet you abide by your own law, the own forth, the sinful man within you. James chapter 1 speaks of the same thing. Chapter 1 and verse 13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. Say, own evil desire. Your own evil desire. That's who tempts you. Temptation isn't bad. Temptation's just fine as long as you remain in him. Temptation is, can be the thing that causes you to trip and fall, or it can be the thing that builds you up. Temptation is something that can be a catalyst to righteousness. Amen? That's why Jesus allows it. That's why Jesus himself was tempted. This is why the Father allowed temptation to come on Jesus. Because he knew that if his son would overcome the temptation, he would now be in a place to carry on the commission that he was sent for. Temptation is good, right? Jesus allows for the temptation from the evil one. He allows that in you. But you know what the grace of God is? The grace of God is another scripture that says, he will not allow you to be tempted what? Beyond what you can endure. Isn't that good news? That's good news and that's bad news. The good news is we have a God who is gracious and compassionate. We have a faithful high priest. He knows where each of you are at. He knows what you can endure. That's the good news. The bad news is now you have no excuse. You cannot say, oh, I could not withstand it. Oh, that was much too great for me. You have no excuse now. You have access to the divine nature. When? All the time. And he says, you will not be endured with temptation beyond that which you can endure. So we have no excuse in Christ Jesus. So that when you sin, don't look to your left and don't look to your right. Don't look behind you to Satan. Look at yourself and say, I failed to remain in him and abide in him. Amen? Amen. Don't look around. Don't find a scapegoat. The scapegoat has already been dealt with. The sacrifice is already there. Just put your life back on the altar, amen? And make it right and new with Christ again. There is a sin nature within. The sin within has its own desires. And today we are going to talk about desires. We started with what? Psalm 103. Verse 5 says, He, God, will satisfy your desires and give you good things. But I want to say in an introduction that the sin man within you has its own desires. Amen? Sin has its own desires. Genesis chapter 
4 and verse 7. Genesis 4, 7 says this. This is a story about Cain and Abel. I'll start in verse 6. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? This is God talking to Cain. After they had brought their, what? Their offering to the Lord. Abel brought an offering that was pleasing and in obedience to the command. Cain decided to do it, what? His own way. He says, I'll do it my way. He brought his own offering. It was rejected. And now Cain is angry. There's a fire brewing in his belly, and it ain't the Holy Ghost. It is the fire of the carnal man, ready to rob, kill, and destroy. And God says to him, verse 7, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you. But you must master it. That's the desire of the sin nature within you. Its desire is to have you, to control you, to dictate your thoughts, your emotions. Amen? And you know who can plug into that carnal nature? The devil himself. He can plug into that carnal man when it's exposed, when it comes out of the blood of Jesus Christ. So my question to you today as we go into this is, we need to have our desires met, amen? God created us with desire. It is part of his character, part of his being. He has given us desire. But the promise is, is that God can satisfy your desire to give you good things. My question is, who is meeting your desires today? Our principal text that we're gonna talk about is Genesis chapter 25. And in Genesis chapter 25, we pick up a story about Jacob and Esau. Starting in verse 24, it says, When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Does anyone know what Jacob means? Literally, it means grasp the heel, and figuratively, it means deceiver. I think I heard someone say surplanter, swindler. That was a name given to Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to the twin boys. Verse 27 says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Verse 31, Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew, and he ate and drank and got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. You see, what happened here is that Esau had a desire 
He had an immediate need that had to be met, didn't he? There's nothing wrong with the desire, is there? The desire to eat is not wrong. But the desire for him was so great that he put his whole life, his whole future, all filtered down into this one temporary desire. One thing we have to recognize is that nobody can steal your birthright. Nobody can steal your birthright. You must give it away. You must sell it. Nobody can steal it from you. Do you understand that? I, nor Satan, has the power to steal your birthright. You have a choice to hold on to that birthright by faith in obedience in Christ Jesus. Or you can give it away. You can sell it. In Genesis chapter 26, after Jacob was blessed and Esau did not receive the blessing, it says in verse 36, Esau says, isn't he rightly named Jacob, deceiver? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he has taken my blessing. Wrong. Jacob didn't take anything. He gave it away. He made a willful choice, a foolish choice, to get caught up with a desire and to forget what was beyond. And he gave away his birthright and his blessing. You following me? Jacob, the deceiver. Satan, the deceiver. The principle is the same. The devil cannot steal your birthright, but you can give it away to him. Every day, every hour, you have the choice to remain in him. Do you realize that as Christians that you have a new birthright when you become a Christian? Do you realize that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus? You have a new inheritance, a new hope. He has changed your name to a name that only he knows. Isn't that wonderful? Up until that time where you give your life to Christ, you have a birthright, but that birthright is of this world and of the prince of this world, and it leads to destruction. It leads to everlasting condemnation and death. But in Christ Jesus our Lord, you have a new birthright, a new inheritance. He has changed your name, and no longer are you of this world, but you are a Christian. You are hidden with Christ in God. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Verse 1 says, what am I saying? Is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Isn't that wonderful? 
He has purchased you. He has made you an heir. You are engrafted in to the family of God. And every blessing, every promise that's for that family is yea and amen for you. If you'll simply call out and follow him in obedience. If you won't, sell your birthrights. Farther on in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 28, he uses the analogy of Hagar and Sarah. Hagar being the slave, essentially, and Sarah, the free woman. He says this in verse 28. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but we are children of the free woman. We are free in Christ Jesus. Free from what? The Bible says that once you were a slave unto sin, but now you are a slave unto righteousness. You have a new birthright. Now you have access, apart from the Spirit of God within you, the only thing you can do is sin. You are children of sin. You are children of wrath. You are children of hell apart from Christ. You can do nothing good apart from Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. Nothing you do apart from Christ Jesus is he pleased with. They are but filthy rags in his sight. But through Christ Jesus, he has given you a new birthright. And the access of that birthright is by the giving of the Holy Spirit. It is a down posit and a guarantee of the future inheritance. That is the token. That is the thing that you can see and appreciate within a person that gives testimony to what's inside that person. The token that has been given by Christ, the Holy Spirit, the down payment of the inheritance. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 12, says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature or to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Who is he talking to here? How did this start? Therefore, brothers, He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying, brother and sister in Christ, I realize that you have received Jesus Christ. I realize by the promise of God that as soon as you did that, he put the spirit within you and now you have access to the divine nature. That no longer are you a bondage to sin, but now you can be in bondage to righteousness. But he still feels by the Holy Spirit that he must say, that you should not live according to the sin nature. Not only does that legitimize the fact that there is a sin nature still in the Christian, but it says that we should not and we don't have to live by it. It says again, verse 13, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For if you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. 
Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you realize that in Christ Jesus that we are new? Do you realize who you are as a Christian? That now you are engrafted by the blood of the lamb into God's family? And as surely as an orphan child goes into a new family, that every potential blessing of that new family is theirs? Do you realize, as Pastor Hansen has said, that when Melita came into their family, once it was not their child, but now it is their child? They have theoretically purchased her. They have gone to the things that it took to pull her in. They really paid the price, and now she is a legitimate daughter of that family. And every blessing that is available to Tamara, Talitha, and to Kareen, every blessing is available to her. There is no distinguishing anymore. She is a daughter. And in the same way, if you have received Christ, or if you will receive Christ, every blessing of Jesus Christ, every promise that you read in that scripture, every desire that you have in your life, he will satisfy that desire. Now, isn't that good news? Every desire. Now you say, what about an evil desire? Well, I say what happens with our desires is every desire is founded and rooted in what we are created to be. It, is, it starts out good, but then by our carnal nature, we pervert our desires. And we try to seek things in an evil kind of way, in a sadistic kind of way, in a self-serving kind of way to meet those desires. What he's saying is the desires that he has placed within you, that he created within you, he will satisfy them and give you good things. You see, Esau had a desire. He went and he solved the problem himself. He met his own desire. But he didn't get good things out of it, did he? It probably wasn't about four hours later that he was hungry again. You see how temporal that thing was? Isn't that how the deceiver works? That's how Jacob worked, the deceiver. And Satan is the same. He tries to get you to find something temporal to lash onto, to sell your birthright away. That's how Satan works in your life. He is a deceiver. He can't go in and take your birthright, but he can deceive you into selling your birthright, into giving it away for something temporal, a real desire that you have that is immediate. And you make that desire so big and so huge. I'm famished, I'm famished. I need to meet this desire. That it's so big in your own eyes that you can't even see beyond it. You can't even see Lucifer behind that thing, trying to get you to bait and to go into it. But we have access to Christ Jesus. That as soon as you make a choice to stand on the word of God, all of a sudden that desire, which can possibly be huge, is instantly put down. And you can see reality. You can see through the spirit. You can see the deceiver. You have access to that. But you must choose to abide in that every single day. Are you despising your birthright for a pot of porridge? Do your natural desires keep you from the benefits of your blood-bought new inheritance? Do they? I'm not asking you, brother or sister, whether you are in Christ as far as 
saved. What I'm asking are on a daily basis are your desires, the natural desires, the thing that God has created. Are they keeping you from being able to plug in to the benefits and the sonship of Christ? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 6 says, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. How many Christians have I seen? How much in my own life have I seen that there's desires within me that keep me trapped? Trapped from what? Trapped from the righteousness of Christ. Trapped from getting the blessing. Trapped from getting deliverance and freedom over that. The work of the Holy Spirit within you is to expose those areas where you're trapped. To expose those areas of your spiritual house, those closets that you push things into. And when a desire comes up, all of a sudden, you sell your birthright. That Bible that's on the counter, you put it away. The Christian music, that might condemn me. I'll turn it off and I'll meet my sinful desire. And then, at a process of remorse, that I'll come back to Christ. This is not the plan for a Christian. You don't have to go through that cycle. You don't have to see a, an immediate need within you. You don't have to sell your birthright to meet that need because you know who can meet that need? Jesus Christ can meet that need. Every desire that you have, Jesus Christ can meet that desire. Evil desires produce nothing of worth. We read that in John chapter 15, that apart from me you can bear no fruit. Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, the sluggard craves and gets nothing but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. We need not to be sluggards, but we need to be diligent. Mark chapter 4 and verse 7 talks about a famous parable that all of you are familiar with about the seeds that are sown in our lives. And it says in verse number 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. The interpretation of the parable is found in verse 18. He says, still others like seed sown among thorns. Hear the word. Are you hearing the word today? We always put this in this like evangelistic context as if it's only people that first hear the word of God. But when do you hear the word of God? You hear the word of God anytime you come to a sermon or a sanctuary. You hear the God anytime you open it in your prayer closet or at your home. Every time you hear the word of God, a seed can be sown into your life. How can it be that a certain amount of people can come to a church and hear the same word from the same preacher over and over again? But some, it produces unto fruit and to righteousness. The other people, they come back, and they're the same, and they're the same, and they're the same, and they get backslidden, and they come back to the same, and they can never grow. How is that possible? It's the same seed, is it not? Is it not the responsibility of hearing the word of God, receiving the word of God, protecting the word of God, cultivating the word of God, let it stir within you, making a choice to respond to the word of God in righteousness? That is the difference. It's the receptivity of the seed by those who it is sown into. Amen? That's why the scripture can say the word shall not what? Return void. The word is the word. But we have a responsibility to receive the word. So verse 18 again says, still others like seed sown among thorns. Hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of, of wealth, 
and the desires of other things. Come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. This message is for you and for me. The word of God wants to come in you and it wants to perfect you. It wants to expose sin and have you say, respond to Christ and say, it is sin, I repent of my sin and now fill that area, heal that area. That's what the word of God wants to do in your life. If you have hurts today, Jesus says, I want you to hear my word and let the word come and bathe you and cleanse you and give you hope and give you courage and give you joy. But if you don't abide in the word, If you let the things of this world, how many times have I seen in a congregation, how many times have I seen in my clinic where I speak to somebody the word of God, I feel the anointing come upon me for a person, I'll speak truth to them, they'll weep, they'll cry, they'll say, oh yes, I'll make commitments to Christ, and then the next time they come into the clinic, they say, oh, I don't want to see Ty. I have this all the time. Why? It wasn't that I somehow messed up the word. They responded to the word. They made a commitment to the word. But they left the word and did not protect it and did not choose to live in obedience to that word once they walked out. That was the problem. And so if you despise the seed, if you despise the birthright, why would you want to go back to the one that gave it to you? There's only condemnation and guilt for that person unless they repent of their sin. If they repented of that sin, they'd have no problem seeing me. If you would repent of your sin when you did it, you would have no problem going back to Jesus immediately. But instead, what do you do? You just kind of avoid him for a little while. Once you are walking and singing and praising and dancing with him, and then you sin, and you decide not to take care of it right then, and so you go hide behind the bush like Adam and Eve, and God calls out, where are you? Where are you? Well, I was ashamed of my nakedness. And he says, okay, can I cover you again? If you'll just come back to me and deal with your sin right then, that's when he wants to heal you. It doesn't have to wait for a process and time for your emotions to finally get rid of the guilt before you have to come back to Jesus. You know that? The atonement of Jesus Christ, the covering of the blood, is not dependent on your emotions. Just because you feel guilty for your sin, so did Judas. That produced what? Suicide. What's a precursor to suicide? Depression, guilt, anxiety, the things that we see so prevalent in our society today. You don't have to settle for that. When you sin, just confess your sin. Say, Lord, I've sinned. And then he'll say, yes, and I restore unto you. And now you again, and I'll remind you, my daughter or my son, that you are my child. And then you dance with him again. This is the way of the Christian life. You don't have to hide from him. You can't hide your sin from him. He knows it's right there. Just come back to him and reconcile with him and say, I remain in you and I confess my sin. And he says, yes, now go confess to that brother that you hurt. You go do it. Because the Bible says that if you have anger, if you have bitterness against a brother, you cannot approach God. How can you say that you love or hate your brother, but in the same tongue you say, I love God. God will say, you're a hypocrite. Go and make it right. Come back and then we'll dance some again. I'll talk to you some more. Are you having a hard time hearing from God in your life? Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, if a man cannot hear from God, it is because of one reason, that's sin. Because God is a God of revelation. God is a God who wants to talk with you. He wants to walk with you in the cool of the day and share things with you. If you're not hearing from Jesus, it's because of sin. No other excuse. Sin, sin, sin. That's the only thing that cuts you off from Christ. Sin. And so if you're not hearing his voice, the words that we talk about here, 
You want to know him more. You want to hear his voice and touch you. Well, if you're not hearing it, there's a problem, and it's not with Jesus. Because he desires intimacy with you. He desires to walk with you. He desires to show you the mysteries of the kingdom. He desires, he desires as much as a father desires to spend time with his children. He desires to spend time with you. And the only thing that cuts off that intimacy is your sin. If you're having a hard time hearing from Jesus, you need to ask him to reveal your sin. Amen? That's a hard word, but it's a good word. Because it's the only thing that'll keep you in fellowship. It's the only thing that'll take you far away and bring you near. It's asking God, God, have I sinned against you? I'm not talking about a season or three or four days or a couple of weeks where you're having a hard time communicating with God. I'm talking about if you look at your life for the last six months and you're saying, I'm not really hearing from God. I don't feel like I'm led by the Spirit. Then I say you need to look within. Amen? You must look within. Because God's character is one of revelation and intimacy. And if you're not having that, it's not because he changed his character. He hasn't changed his conditions. He still says the same thing. Come to me and, and meet me in the secret place. Because I have something to share to you. Friends share secrets. Jesus showed that in his own ministry. There are things he would tell to the innermost crowd that he wouldn't tell to others. huh? Friends share secrets. Friends share the mysteries of the kingdom. But if you're not a friend, if you don't make yourself available, if you want to stay in your sin then he cannot share the secrets in the secret place with you. There are so many things in the Christian life, so many desires in our life that can keep us from the birthright. I was convicted recently. I would watch probably one football game a week. Now, get me here. I am not against football. I like football. Anyone else like football? I like it. It's not about football. I'm not talking about because it's about football. I'm talking about because of me and my relationship with Christ. And every time that I would watch football, it was only one game a week. It was only three, three and a half hours a week. Something so small. But you know what would happen every time I watched football? I wouldn't treat my family very well during that time. I'd be so distracted, so focused, that if any of my children got anything that was, usually I'd have compassion and talk to them and correct them and pull them. No, I'd just, you know, just, just quiet down. That wasn't the spirit of God. Well, I need to correct my children and, uh, you know, train up a child in the way he should go. It wasn't righteousness. It was carnal man. For me, in my weakness, when I plugged the TV in, for that thing, that outlet, I was plugging in my carnal man. For me. Maybe it's not for you. Maybe you have no problem. Maybe you can just walk away and it's not a big deal. For me, it was a problem. And Jesus was saying to me, are you going to deal with the problem? And I started thinking about desire. There's something in many men that they find football as an outlet. I don't really even know what it is. Maybe it's the whole aggression of it, which God made us more aggressive. It's something about football for men that they find a desire being met through that football. I can't understand it, but I think there's some men in this place that can identify with it. If it's not football, there's probably a ten other things we can use as an example. But for me, it was football. I was finding some desire within me, trying to get it met by watching this football game. Don't you find it amazing how people over their sports teams can kill other people? Can't you find it amazing that after a team wins a Super Bowl or a World Series, that there can be riots and death afterwards? Isn't there something wrong with that desire and trying to find it to be an expressed and met? Whatever I was doing, the Lord convicted me and said, you're trying to get that desire within you. The desire in itself is not bad, but the way I was trying to get it fulfilled was not good. 
He's saying, can I meet that desire for you? I will meet it for you. And I repented of my, I repented of my sin. I repented. If I just said, that sounds like a good idea, let me think about it. That's not repentance. I had to say, as soon as he convicted me and showed, I am finding desires that he wants to meet, and I'm finding other temporal ways to meet it. I had a choice to think about it or to repent of it. And I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me. Nothing, I'm not talking about football here. I'm talking about sin in me. I was despising my birthright. I was despising my access to God at every moment for a football game. And the fruit of that was evident. I wasn't producing godly fruit. I wasn't producing patience, long-suffering, goodness, joy. I wasn't producing that. I was producing anger, bitterness. Don't interrupt me. I'm watching this. Quiet down. Get out of the way. Get in the way. That's the fruit. That's not God. That's carnal man. Right? And I repented. I said, Lord, I just received from you. Meet that, whatever that need is. I can't identify it. I don't understand it. But you do understand it. Meet that need within me so I don't have to find it in that. And as soon as I did that, all of a sudden I had no more desire to watch football. Isn't that neat? That is neat. I don't have it. Why? I don't understand it all. But I know that when I repented of my sin, what I did know, what I did understand, that's what he asked you to respond to. I understood it was sin to me. To me. Maybe not to you, but to me it was. I repented, and he met my desire, my need. And I didn't need it anymore. I remember I I listened to sports radio. And I listened to these guys talk about the Seahawks and how awful they were. And they were angry. And you see the emotion and the rage. And they're slandering people. They need to get rid of this person, that person. I mean, their whole life was revolved around this stupid thing called football. Why? Because they can't get their needs met in Christ. They have to get their needs met in football. And when football lets them down, it's like a God who has let them down. But Jesus will never let you down. That's why it was sin for me. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Sexual perversity is another need. God put a need within us to have sexual intimacy. Sexual intimacy is not bad. It is good. It is good. Every married man should say, amen. Amen. Thank you. Notice I said every married man should say, amen. Sexual intimacy is beautiful. It's wonderful. But let's talk about sexual perversion. Sexual perversion could be anything outside of what? The confines of healthy sexual intimacy as described in the book of God. That's a simple definition for sexual perversity. Finding your desires met in any way outside the confines of God's word. That's sexual perversion. Okay? Let's talk about one that's very common. Masturbation. Are you offended by me talking about this? That's okay if you are. It's prevalent. It's one that many men especially struggle with or deal with at some point in their life. That's why I want to talk about it. When we do anything such as masturbation or pornography or anything outside of God's way, we have a desire within us. It's a legitimate desire, but we're finding an unhealthy way to get it met. Isn't that true? I found, as I've counseled men, especially in the medical clinic, you see, when I come in, when, when the young men come in, like the 12, 13, 14, when they come in for their sports physical, you know what I talk about? I talk about purity issues. Why? Well, because I know that if they're sexually pure, they're going to live healthier physical lives, aren't they? I have a great, nice little connection there. 
I have this medical necessity I think I need to talk to you about. Because I'd hate for you to have a baby when you don't want to. And I'd hate for you to get a sexually transmitted disease that you don't want. And I'd hate for you to get pregnant and then get an abortion and go through depression. I'd hate for that to happen to you. So I feel like I should warn you about things that you can do to prevent that. And I start talking about sexual purity to them. So I feel like I can talk about it with them. I can talk about it with you. Can you handle it? It's real desire. God made us sexual beings. Their desire is not that satisfied, but it can be satisfied only in him, in his word, how he directs. Do you know you can have sexual perversion with your spouse? Do you understand that? Just because it's in with your spouse, that doesn't mean in by itself that it's righteous. That's like saying, do you know you can sin inside of a church building? Don't think just because who you're with or where you're at makes it righteous. What's going on in your mind? Is it in the confines, in the very nature of God, how you're expressing that desire? Or is it the, merely for the lust of the flesh, the perversion of your mind? What's going on in your mind? You can have sex with your spouse and still sin. As surely as you can come into a church building, as surely as you can speak to a man and woman of God, and in your mind you're sinning against them and sinning against God. Sexual perversion is not merely the external expression. It's the heart within you. It's your mind. Jesus says to every person that's, that struggles with sexual perversion, you have a need, you have a desire. I desire to meet that need and give you good things. Amen? It's the same as the television was for me, the same as the football game was for me. If you struggle with that area, it's exactly the same as my football game. He simply wants you to confess it as sin and say, Lord, I have a desire. I want you to meet it now. And he will. But you have to abide and remain in him. You understand? Because what happens in our lives is that desire for sexual intimacy, that desire for the football game, that desire for materialism, buying things, that temptation will keep coming up. And what will happen is it'll be so big and you'll struggle with it, you'll struggle with it in your mind and it'll be this gigantic desire. And all of a sudden it's shattered out and clouded out your birthright and you can't see it no more. And you're willing to sell out for that second and you do it, and you're snatched like a fish grabbing a lure, and you're just getting pulled in, and finally the desire passes, whatever it has, watching the football game, sexual perversion, going out and buying something to somehow satisfy you. Finally it's gone, and what remains is guilt and condemnation. And there is guilt and condemnation for those who are what? Not in Christ Jesus. There is guilt and condemnation. What does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Does that mean because two years ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, you accepted Christ? No, every single day. We already read it. John 15, remain in me. As soon as you choose not to remain in him, there is guilt and condemnation. And we go through this cycle of sin, trying to find things that will satisfy the desires within us. The desire is fine, but how we get it met is not of him. He wants to meet that desire. Are you struggling with buying things to make yourself feel good? Are you struggling with sexual perversion to meet a need? Are you struggling with eating to meet a need? Oh, there's nothing wrong with eating, is there? There's nothing wrong with sex, is there? There's nothing wrong with buying something occasionally, is there? There's nothing wrong with watching a football game, is there? But who meets your need? Does that meet your need? Then instantly it's become your idol. You bow down to it. It meets your need. And then what happens is you find that as soon as that desire is met, that idol dissolves in, into nothing. And you say, you let me down. And you go through guilt and condemnation for a season. And then it comes back. And like a dog returning to its own vomit. 
Are we entrapped, like the scripture says, to our desires? Are you trapped by your desires today? Are you selling your birthright over and over again? You don't have to. You don't have to be trapped by your evil desires because God has promised in his scriptures. He knows your desires and he wants to meet your desires and satisfy your desires. Do you hear that word, satisfy? You ever had a nice meal and say, that was satisfying. He doesn't just want to meet it. He wants to satisfy you and give you good things. What that means is when that desire comes up, you say, Lord, no, I'm not going back to my own vomit. I surrender right now, Lord. And realize my birthright. And Lord, meet that desire in me right now. I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to praise you. I'm just going to dance before you. I'm just going to sing your praises and say hallelujah, hallelujah. And you start just worshiping him and praying to him. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God wells up. And that desire that was so big is gone. You forget about it. All you can see is your new inheritance in Christ Jesus. And you're not willing to sell out anymore. Isn't that wonderful? Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. But I tell you what, as soon as you make a choice not to be led by desires, every single time that same desire comes back, it's not as tall anymore. And the next time, it's a little shorter. And the next time you you act in righteousness, it's smaller, and then it's smaller, and then it's smaller. And the devil can't plug you anymore because that thing is so small, you, you don't even think about it anymore. That is the opportunity you have in Christ. You don't have to be entrapped by the desires. You don't have to sell away your birthright as a son of Christ. He will meet the desires. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will what? He will give you the desires of your heart. What is your real desire? Your desire really isn't for a football game or for sexual perversion. It isn't for that. Your desire is for the Lord, isn't it? He will give you the desires of your heart. Everything that you need, he will give. If you'll simply make a choice in your daily life to remain in him. It is so difficult to sin when you're worshiping Jesus. I don't know if I've ever done it. When these desires come upon me, these things to do what I know is wrong, like Paul struggled with. I want to do what's good, but then it's wrong, and it's just constantly bigger, 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 bigger. Who shall save me but Christ Jesus? It is hard to continue to get that desire met in a wrong way when you decide to praise him, when you decide to worship him, when you decide to put, open your mouth and start speaking to him and saying how lovely and how wonderful he is. It is hard to sin. Will you try that? Will you try it? Just begin to praise him and worship him. And all of a sudden, that desire, what seemed like to be this huge mountain, will become a stone under your foot. We talk about putting the devil under your feet. This is what we're talking about. On a daily basis, put the devil and understand that it can be under your foot if you'll simply just cast your eyes upon Jesus and start worshiping him and letting him meet your desires. We talked about time with television, sexual perversions, materialism, food, drugs, Scarce, I say caffeine. What do you need today? What are your desires? What are your needs? And who's going to meet them? There's a man of God that I met with recently, about six months ago. And he was telling me this story about he's the pastor of a church and his wife is kind of the co-pastor. And they're both, I just always feel like I'm refreshed around them. They're just wonderful people. And he was telling me that his wife had struggled with, with drinking coffee. Am I against coffee? No. But his story was, she really struggled with this. And what he found is, all of a sudden, she made a renewed commitment to Jesus Christ. A new one. Was she righteous? Was she doing great things? Yes. But she felt a time of renewal, a time of repentance, a time of saying, Lord, I want my needs be met in you. And she never touched the coffee pot again. Isn't that wonderful? 
It seems so simple, a little need, oh, it's just a little bit of coffee. It's not the coffee. It's about getting your needs and your desires met. Who's going to need it? Now, I told the story maybe 10 times to you guys, how when I said at one church, the worship leaders would come off the platform after church, and I'd be working in the espresso bar. Oh, can't believe I did that. And, and they, would, they would come, and they were supposedly just in the presence of God and leading worship, and they'd come, and they'd say, well, I need my coffee. And you know what was the sad part? They were right. They needed the coffee. Like I needed my television. Like I needed sexual perversion. Or I needed that food to satisfy me because it hurts. They did need it. And the only way they can stop needing it is to repent. And say, Lord, it was sin. If we pacify these things that seem so small. Couple cups of coffee here. Little sexual perversion there little football game from now and again, we pass it off and we say, ah, God surely doesn't care about those things. God died for those things. He died for your daily life. What part of your life did he not die for? Is the atonement only for things that happen in a church building or happen on a certain day? He died for everything. He died for the thoughts in your mind and the things that are within you, the desires that you have. He died for them so he could satisfy them. Will you let him? He got to confess it is sin. And say, Lord, I'm going to choose to respond to you next time that craving comes. And be, soon you'll start craving Jesus, craving intimacy, craving worship, craving prayer, craving the things of God. Those are the real desires of your heart. And he will meet those. And as soon as he meets those, the things of this world will slowly get smaller, like the song we sing. Amen? Let's close with a couple scripture verses. 1 John 2.17 the world and its desires will pass away. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world and its desires will pass away. That is not our inheritance. Our inheritance is everlasting. If you want to figure out if that desire is of God or not of God, the way you're satisfying it, just ask how long shall it last, right? How long should it last? If you can put a date on it, then you need to say, whoa, hold on here a second. My desire is to be met in Jesus Christ because it will last forever. Amen? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And this really is the conclusion to the story. Verse 16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That is the conclusion of the story. Don't worry about the sin nature. Just start living by the Spirit. Don't just keep battling and, and oh, I hate myself. And I, you're putting too much emphasis on the sin nature. The sin nature is always there. Just start focusing on Jesus. Just start worshiping Jesus. And the spirit man will rise up within you. And the sinful man will go down. And you will have victory in your life. Verse 17 for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under that law. Do you grasp that today? Before you were in Christ, you had to satisfy your desires in evil ways. But now, 
Who shall save me? Thanks be to Christ Jesus our Lord. He sent the Holy Spirit that you might have access to divinity, access to Jesus anytime you want. And now you're not under the law of the curse of the sinful nature. Now you're under a new law, a new sonship, a new inheritance. Now you no longer have to get your desires met by yourself or the things of this world. Now you can have your desires met by Jesus Christ. He can walk with you in the cool of the day and set you free from the desires that entrap you. Hallelujah. That's worth getting excited about. That's the thing that propels you when you look at a person and they're not in Christ Jesus. They're living for themselves. They're a heathen. They're not, they're not tapped into God. That's the thing. That's the good news you can give to them. Freedom, freedom, wonder-working freedom in the precious blood of the Lamb. That's the good news. He came to save you from yourself. The devil only has access to yourself. But as soon as you're hidden with Christ in God, there's no access. And every time you repent of a sin, I always look at the analogy of a climbing rock. That every so often it has a grasp hold for your hand or for your foot. In the same way, when you have the flesh exposed, when it's a hurt exposed that has not been met by Christ Jesus, then it's an exposed hole, a foothold, or a hand grasp for Satan himself. But as soon as you recognize that sin, as soon as you recognize that hurt, and that hurt might not have been even caused by you, it might have been from others in your past. But as soon as you recognize it and say, Lord, that's been a, a sore spot, it's been a foothold, and the devil's been grasping onto it and speaking to me and ministering to me through that foothold, then you allow the blood of Christ to come and it lets it heal. And all of a sudden that foothold gets filled and molded in with the blood of Christ. And no longer can the devil grasp onto it. And as soon as that foothold's taken care of, Christ desires to show the next foothold. And the whole process of your life in Christ is him to show you weaknesses and like the potter's hands to come down and say, can I do it? Can I do it? And you say, yes, Lord, you can do it. He says, good. And he starts to fashion that pot. He might have to break a little piece off because it doesn't look good. But then he fills it back in. But you must say, yes, Lord. You must choose to abide in him. Or you tie the hands of Christ and you settle for a pot of porridge, and you go through the entrapment of satisfying your desires and your hurts and your wants by the things of this world. He is the potter, and you are the clay. The only difference is the clay in this choice, in this case, has a choice. We must say yes. Lord, I will abide, because I realize that I have sold my desires for a pot of porridge, but I realize that I have a birthright, and there are so many blessings that I want to be applied to my life. I want you simply to do business with God. This sermon, this message, it's not just for one or two of you. All of us have desires, and all of us fail 100% of the time to get our desires met in Christ alone. We talked about just a few examples. Sexual perversion, our time, our materialism, the things that we have. Food. We talked about some of the things that I think everyone here is probably guilty of, one or more of them at some time. And maybe you really struggle with it. Maybe it's something that's habitual in your life and the Spirit of God has shined down upon you and the light of Christ has exposed your darkness. That is not repentance. Now you must choose to walk in the light as he is in the light. Who can set you free? Jesus alone. Whether you want to come up here and kneel for a few moments before Christ, or whether you want to sit right there, 
just do business with Jesus for a few moments. If you struggle having intimacy with him, if you feel like you can't hear his voice, consider the message today and make a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ that you will keep him as Lord and Savior over every area of your life. And he promises you that he will satisfy your desires and he will give you good things. Will you come to him today? You can only come to Christ through repentance. Repentance is the most beautiful word in this book. Repentance. It's beautiful because it's the only thing that you can do. And you have power and control to do that can put you in relationship with Jesus Christ in a more fuller and meaningful way. Amen? Repentance. That's the grace of God. The grace of God is repentance. Simply to bow your life and your heart in your area that you struggle with and say, Lord, I confess it as sin and I turn to Jesus to meet your need. That's repentance. When do you do it? All the time. Repentance is not a historical event, but it is a way of life. Repenting and rejoicing. It's a daily choice, a moment choice. That temptation might come upon you when you're driving your car or when you're in the kitchen or when you walk by the television. It will always be there. Don't worry about the temptation. Worry about the solution. Jesus Christ, he's the one that can satisfy your desire. Continually repenting and rejoicing. If you need to go, go. I hope you can just spend a few moments with Jesus though. Consider the word. Remember the parable of the seed. You've heard the word. You respond to the word. And then you abide in the word. Don't let the desires of this world quench it out. But renew your commitment to Jesus every single day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. 
The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.